Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. And that's really going to be the thing that we're going to see over these next six weeks on our part two of Acts, the book of Acts, is what part can we play in the story that's ever continuing? The, the book of Acts was, uh, follows the book of Luke, and Luke wrote both books, and it's a continuation. So this summer, if you're thinking about what can I read through, if you read Luke and the book of Acts, it's a continuous story that goes through. And the book of Acts starts with the first 40 days following the resurrection of Jesus. The book of Acts is written for the purpose to remind us, to give us evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, that he was the Messiah, that he truly was the Son of God. We pick it up in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, Then the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles to whom he had chosen. Verse 3 tells us what he did. He presented himself alive to them after a suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. For 40 days after Jesus rose from dead, he takes time to speak into the lives of these disciples, these apostles that he had called himself. He acknowledges during this time to Thomas his doubts. He says, feel my hands, feel my feet, know that I really am the risen Savior. For 40 days, he speaks about the kingdom of God. And over the next six weeks in our time, we're going to study the response to that, the acts of the apostles, is what the book is named after, how they took the good news of Jesus, the gospel, literally around the world. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, you can turn me to, uh, to Luke chapter 2, or if you've got your phones, you can go on to lexcity.info and follow along. All the sermon notes are there. And really, the big thought for the book of Acts, the Greek word for the book is called kerygma, kerygmia. And it means to proclaim, to, to be a proclaimer of a herald. This act of speaking out what you have seen and what you have heard. It's the theme of the book. And so this morning, I want to take some time and talk about this. If we are supposed to be proclaimers, if we're supposed to proclaim, what is it that we are to proclaim in the world in this time that we find ourselves? The apostles had somehow, they left this 40 days with Jesus with extreme clarity. They knew the message. This is what God has placed us to share with the world. And after 40 days, they believed at a new depth that Jesus is who he says that he is and that he did what he said that he would do, that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. And if you know the story of the apostles and how many of them died, you know they went to their graves without a hesitation defending this truth, this proclamation this message that they have been given. So we're going to see what that is. Luke chapter, or Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Here we begin. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, that this Jesus whom you have crucified. Luke reminds them, listen, and what you are needing to proclaim, can I remind you, Luke says, listen, Jesus has to be centric to this message, to this proclamation. Have you ever noticed this in your own life? When you talk to people about faith or you get around in a conversation and it ends up finding out, hey, you're a Christian, have you ever noticed that they want to talk about everything other than Jesus? 
they find out you, you're a Christian, they want to talk political things and debate what your political stance is on these things. They want to know what your view on human sexuality and how that goes. If you talk long enough, you're going to get around to the hypocrisy of church and the hurt of church that we've all kind of faced. I'm reminded of this. They like to talk about everything except Jesus in this moment. And all of those other things are extremely important. And as followers of Christ, they impact us greatly, and we need to have a, a thought on how we share those things. But can I remind you that politics, social stances, even nationalism does not save you, that only Jesus saves you. And Paul says, this message that we share, these things that we proclaim, Jesus has to be centric to that and to the message because all other things are secondary even though that's what everybody wants to push you to have conversations about. He says only Jesus saves. That the focus of the gospel has to be as significant and important to us today as it was 2,000 years ago because 2,000 years ago, here's what you're gonna see, the distractions in society and culture were just as great in the time of, of Luke and Peter as they were to us today. It's 80 A.D. when the book of Acts occurs. Amazing time in human history, 80 A.D. The Roman Colosseum has just been built and just been completed. They now are experiencing at this time 100 days of games, the biggest event really in the known world at this time in human history. Everybody's talking about it. All kinds of debates. As a follower of this new Jesus, how do I need to think about gladiators doing battle in the Colosseum? How do we need to think about exotic animals being killed purely for sport, right? There was entertainment debates happening in 80 AD. There were pandemic debates happening in 80 AD. The Antonin Plague broke out in Rome at that time, and millions of people were infected by the plague at this moment. Should we be wearing masks? Should we be exiling those who are found that have the plague, right? This plague spread all the way to China. So should we close the roads to all roads leading into Rome to protect us, right? There was pandemic debates. There was sexuality debates. The newest colony brought into the Roman Empire was Pompeii. Pompeii, progressive city, sexual depravity at new levels in different ways. Tammy and I got a chance to visit Pompeii just not too long ago. In the center of the city is the large brothel the den of sin that lives within there. And every type of depravity you can imagine to man is still on display on the walls of this brothel that's there. And just to make, I don't know how to say this, you know, however to make it all fit, but it's a fascinating thing. Uh, as you're walking around Pompeii, there are, there are phalluses uh, that are carved into the streets and hung on all the walls pointing you in the direction of the brothel, which is an interesting experience all in of itself. So here's what I just say to you, right? There were sexual debates. What is sexually permissive? Civil debates, civil war, civil discourse, social wars were breaking out of Rome at this time. My point is simply this, that at the time of Acts chapter 2, there are all kinds of distractions political distractions, social distractions, entertainment distractions to the gospel that was happening. You could sit at the city gates all day long at 80 AD and debate all of these issues, and if you're careful, never get around to the proclamation of Jesus because you were fearful that my views on this would cause me to be alienated, that people would reject me at the gates with all the different opinions on all these kind of things. But here's what I want to remind you today as we launch into this. Listen, that the gospel requires clear 
proclamation. Peter had spent 40 days with the resurrected Jesus. And at the end of those 40 days, he understood at a new and deeper level, listen, that all these debates about all of these other things are simply noise. They're a distraction from the enemy to leave us forgetting what the main point is, and that is the gospel in Jesus. So Peter is going to begin Acts chapter 2 with a proclamation that is abundantly clear. And the result of that, we're going to see this, was the start of what we saw to be the church. Again, if you go to lexcity.info, I've got all the, the sermons, sermons from part one of this where we really dealt with how the church got started. What's the role of the church? You can catch up with all of those or rewatch them as you go. But here's the second part of that. Peter now speaks in Acts chapter 2, and here's what he proclaims. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, that this Jesus whom you crucified, now when you heard this, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to him, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When Peter preaches this message, What's the response of the crowd? They're cut to the heart, right? Like a kick in the gut. They, they were speechless. They had lost their breath in these moments. They could not at this moment rationalize away their guilt, and they were overcome with grief, and they were overcome with remorse. They were cut to the heart. Why, why were they cut to the heart at such a level? A couple thoughts. Number one, I think at this moment, for some realized for the very first time that they had been a part of crucifying the Messiah. Remember, this is just days before, 40 days prior to this, that these events happened. The anguish was there. They noted the realization, again, that they had been a part of executing the Messiah, the, the one whom they had longed for for centuries, the one that they had sang songs to, the ones that they had prayed for, was the one that they had now executed. The one whose hope they had placed in for their personal lives, the hope of the promises for them as a nation, had finally come. And instead of welcoming him, instead of receiving him, instead of embracing the truth of who he was, they rejected them. And don't miss this. They handed him over to their bitter, bitter, hated enemies, the Romans. And they crucified him. Guilt. Second part. A realization in this moment, again, they had culpability in, in this deal. They feared the Messiah's wrath. Peter, in this proclamation in Acts chapter 2, you can read it a little bit closer, he quotes part from Psalms 110. Now listen to these words. This is what he quotes. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Can you imagine hearing this? Who would be more of an enemy of God than us who are responsible for crucifying the Messiah? So fear and regret cut to their heart. So they cry out to Peter, who has just preached these words, so what shall we do, right? If all of this is true, and I believe it to be true, then how do I respond? Verse 37. And now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, right? Salvation. 
begins with the conviction of sin. You, you have to understand that you need a Savior before you can be saved by that very Savior, right? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Repentance. How about you? This concept of sin and calling sin, sin, it's difficult in this time, in this age, and in our culture, right? And at a time where acceptance is elevated above all things, where moral relativism is ever so present, calling sin, sin becomes extremely difficult. Our culture tells us, listen, if you don't accept my behavior, right, if you don't accept my choices, then you don't accept me as a person. So when you judge my behavior and my choices and my actions, then you are actually judging me and you are condemning me as a person. You ever had that experience? Culture wants to silence us on these things. They want to silence us for the fear of being what? Called intolerant? For being canceled? As a follower of Christ, they want to silence us by saying, well, you're unloving by these actions and what you're saying to me. But today, can I just remind you, if you catch nothing else today, can I just remind you of this important truth? Two truths can coexist. I can love you, I can value you, I can honor you, and I can still say that your behavior and your lifestyle choices are sin. Both can be true. This is a tension we see all throughout Scripture, right? One of the most famous verses, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever what, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. A God of love, right? For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Two truths can coexist, that God is a God of love and God is also just. You can be both compassionate and you can be moral. Our church can be welcoming and it can be biblical. You can accept someone without having to affirm all the actions of their choices. See, people want, to, or the culture wants to push us to say it's either or, right? If you do not affirm me, then you do not love me. So we remain silent because we're men and women of love. And it's one of the values for us as followers of Christ. But true love cares enough to confront especially when it understands that eternity is at stake. See, salvation must begin with conviction, and conviction has to be the acknowledgement of sin. And when we get this idea of sin, can I just remind you that I don't define sin, and my preferences aren't what sin is, and you don't define sin, and sin is not determined by your preferences. My opinion on what is morally right or wrong are irrelevant when it comes to absolute truth, right? Thought, sin is defined by God, it's communicated in Scripture, and it's convicted by the Holy Spirit. So Peter says to this crowd, listen, let's call it what it is. I love you enough to speak about this. So he speaks on sin, 
There's conviction of that, and that conviction leads to the repentance, and the repentance leads to their conversion. And following that conversion, interesting thing, Paul or Peter then calls them to the first acts of, of obedience of a believer. He says, I'm calling you towards baptism. Peter says, I want you to be baptized, and I want you to be the baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Context is so important. Now, this becomes so significant in the life of every believer, but certainly in the context of Acts chapter 2, Peter wants to do this important thing. He wants to mark in their life their moment of decision and conversion, and he wants to solidify that moment for them. See, when a believer in Acts chapter 2 made a decision to place their faith in Jesus Christ, this is a huge departure from their cultural Judaism. It's a huge departure from their following of the law in order to be saved. When at this moment they believed that Jesus was who he said that he was and he did what he said that he did, he is saying, they are saying, I believe Jesus to be the Messiah. And that moment of decision came at a great cost. For many of them, they will now will be outcasts from their family and from their social followers in these areas because now they have acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah. We see that today. In our relationship and partnership with India, I had a chance to go this last year, and as we talk with pastors and their wives and their families, listen, many of them made a decision to follow Jesus, and the moment they did, they became an outcast to their Hindu families. They were alienated. They aren't welcome back in the same village. They aren't welcome back on these family units, right? This conversion came at a great cost that they had. So Peter says, listen, I know the decision you're about to make is going to cost you, and I want to make sure that I ground that decision with this public act of baptism so you can solidify it. We can weed out, are you serious about this or not? Jesus did this. If you remember, Jesus had that conversation with the rich young ruler. He said, listen, I need you to sell. If you want to follow me, then sell all your possessions, right? I want to see the genuineness of your salvation. Are you willing to sell all that you have to follow me? Peter, in the same way, is saying to the moment to those in Acts chapter 2, listen, as evidence of the decision that you make, I want you to go public with your faith and I want you to be baptized. Salvation is not gained through riches and it's not gained through water, but it is an evidence that you are in total submission to the will of God. So Peter says, I want to help you ground this by doing this. So when they heard this incredible proclamation, the preaching of Peter, we know the impact of that, right? If you remember from Acts, as we said, the first part of the series, 3,000 people were saved that day. 3,000 people were baptized. This was not easy believism. This commitment cost them something extremely great. But when they were confronted, think about this, all that it cost them, when they were confronted with their own sin, they submitted to the Lord with gladness and joy, understanding that they had forgiveness of their sins in a way they had never known before. It was the the Puritan pastor, uh, Thomas Watson, once wrote this. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. And then these folks realized their sinfulness of their life and the sweetness of what Jesus offered was so powerful to them. So we go on, verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 had the courage to say, I believe that Jesus is who he says that he is, and I know all this will cost me with my family and my culture and at this time and age, but I believe. 
and they with joy came forward and were saved. And the result of that moment, Peter says, was not only that you had the forgiveness of your sins, was not only the, the fact that you had the promise of heaven, but he says this, that you're going to be rescued from this crooked generation. And nobody had an understanding of how timely this message was until you look back in history back. Forty years after this moment in time, when Peter gives these words, 40 years later, Rome now invades Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. Rome invades and kills over a million people. No doubt some of those who were killed in that invasion were some of the 3,000 that on that day placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible reminds us, right, today is the day of salvation. You have no promises of tomorrow. You don't know what the next 40 years holds. You're guaranteed this moment. And so your proclamation is on a clock. And the clock is ticking. War, sickness, tragedy, the imminent return of the Lord, all of these are true. And listen, to think that you have forever is a misnomer. And Peter shared these things. He had no idea, no dreams that the day that he was preaching in this place that 40 years later that Rome would invade and temple would be destroyed. He had no concept that the men and women and boys and girls that he was sharing his heart and sharing this good news of Jesus, that many of them would be killed 40 years later by their arch enemies, the Roman Empire. And we're going to see over these next five weeks as we hear about the acts of the apostles that there is an urgency about their proclamation. They understand that, listen, we're on a clock. Jesus has changed and transformed my lives, and I've got to share it with an urgency to those that are around me. There's an urgency to the proclamation. So can my, to my fellow proclamators this morning, can I just remind us that men and women, we're, we're on a clock also. We live in a crooked generation that needs saving. And that salvation begins with repentance. It's the acknowledgement of sin. As you talk with folks, as we interact with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends, can we just be reminded that two truths can coexist. Ephesians 4 says what? Speak the truth, but speak it in love. Both can exist. So don't cower. Don't compromise. Don't live in fear of judgment and labeling. But as you're sharing these things, keep yourself in a posture of compassion and care and understanding. Be both truth and love to the world around us. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the Acts of the Apostles. Today, I just kind of wanted to lay that framework for what we're going to go. 2,000 years ago, the gospel story began in a city called Jerusalem. <laughs> and today, God is calling us to be a part of this story in this time in human history. This is our time to proclaim. We don't know what's going to happen in 40 years. We don't know what's going to happen in 100 years. But this is our season, our time. This is where God's put us accountable to say what we began 2,000 years ago, I now hand off to you to proclaim with grace and truth and love. Proclamation, right? It's not just for the few professionals for everybody who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. Somebody said the gospel is just 
one beggar sharing with another beggar how you can find some bread, where there's some hope, where there's some life to be found. So here's the question for us this morning as we close out is, is who has God placed in your path, right? Who's in your city gates? Who's your neighbor? Who's that coworker you may see tomorrow? Who's that family member? Who needs to hear the good news? For many of us, where culture has silenced you and stolen your voice, where culture has says it's either or, where do you need to be reminded that you need to find your voice once again? Where do you need to be reminded that it's your season to proclaim in truth and love what God has? It was the 1800s, and uh, Henry Ward Beecher, he was a clergyman, he was a spokesman, he was a social reformer, he was on the front end of speaking against slavery and, and an advocate for that. He simply said this, if you want your neighbor to know what Christ will do for him, let your neighbor see what Christ has done for you. Your proclamation is found in both your words and your deeds. Let's pray together. And just in these moments as we kind of just are still, what is it that the Lord would speak to your heart this morning? Where do you need to find your voice once again? Who needs to hear a powerful message of what God can do in your life, in your season, in your time? What will you do with this gospel? For some of you today, you may be here and say, you know, Pastor, I think, <laughs> I think I'm back at this stage one. I, this idea of repentance, I, I don't know if I've ever come to that point in my life where I have acknowledged my sin to God. I know I have shortcomings. I know I've failed in some areas, but today I'm feeling that tug and to say, I need to be right with God. I need to make this right. I want to invite you today, in just a moment, I'm going to just say a prayer. If that's you today, I invite you to say that prayer to the Lord. A prayer that simply does that. It acknowledges my sinfulness and my need for a Savior. It acknowledges what Peter preached 2,000 years ago, that Jesus is who he says that he is and that he did what he said he would do in your life. And so it's the acknowledgement of God. I, I need you to come and be my Lord and Savior. God, thank you for loving me enough that you sent Jesus to die on the cross that I could experience forgiveness and new life in you and today I want to make you my Lord if that's you today I'm going to pray in just a moment but I'd love to just be able to pray for you and with you on that and if that's you this morning would you be willing just to, to raise your hand and just put it down that I could just know and just to pray with you here this morning anybody here today I know today many of you are watching online listening throughout different times and different places if that's you today can I just invite you to just pray with me these words say them in your own words but it's the attitude of your heart dear, dear heavenly father I realize that I'm a sinner and I realize that my sin has separated me from you but God I thank you that you love me enough to send your son Jesus to 
die on the cross and pay the penalty for my sins. Father, today I'm placing my trust and my faith in you alone for the forgiveness of my sins and for the free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, today if you prayed that prayer, we had some folks last hour that took that opportunity to pray that prayer. If you're watching online, listen, as a church family, we want to come alongside you. We want to support you. We want to help ground you in this moment of decision in your faith. And one of the ways you can do that is in your seat backs in front of you, there's a little card that just says, life is complicated. We know a guy. His name is Jesus. We want to invite you just to grab one of these cards, fill out that information. And if you're here in person right after the service, if you head right out these doors, go to our welcome center. We'd love to give you a book just entitled The Decision. Kind of gives you some next steps, how to grow in your faith, how to understand a little bit more what's going on and, and how you can understand who Jesus is in a better way. If you're watching online and today you made that decision, can I encourage you? Email us as a church. Say, today I made that decision. We'd love to follow up with you and help you grow in your faith. Acts chapter 2. It's an amazing book begins with just some amazing men and women who understood, listen, I, I have now experienced Jesus in a new way, and I cannot remain silent in that life change. Friends, can I just say in 2023, let's not let culture silence us. Let's be true to who God has called us and what God has called us to do. This is our time of proclamation, and may God find us faithful in that. Sean. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church/give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.